I don't know about the rest of you, but I missed Katya Hall over the weekend because nobody else calls me my sunshine. I, I get such a kick out of that. I really do. I'm in a remarkably good mood for a Monday. Well, I, I like Mondays because, you see, I have Saturday and Sunday where I literally, I have found the, the key to life is to not stay immersed in the same thing seven days a week. So while I am still got one ear out for what's going on in the political spectrum, I have also learned that uh, the other aspects of my life and other parts of my life are very important. As a matter of fact, Shereen and I were just talking about that. you got to have balance in your life. And I think I have finally been able to uh, get some balance into my life. And I'm happier when I do that. Now, of course, nothing extraordinarily terrible happened over the weekend. As a matter of fact, only good things happened over the weekend, even in the political arena. And even that happened were good for my, my sanity or my side. Um, I did have some experiences which could only happen in 2020 and could only happen to people who actually have um, a real desire to see this country be strong. Um, a lot of things got exposed this weekend, and that's a good thing, because I, I believe, really, that uh, the American people's collective intelligence, and I always say this, is very, very, very high. They don't realize how high it is, and sometimes I have to remind people how much power we actually have. For instance, you know, um, I just read this article over the weekend from the New York Post, which, by the way, is now the paper of record. Uh, they may be banned from Twitter, but everybody else is reading them. Everybody's reading them now. Um, they reported that Netflix subscri subscriptions cratered during September amid the backlash of uh, that Cuties, that French film that had all the prepubescent girls in sexually provocative situations. The New York data analytics firm Antenna and Yipit Data reported a sizable decline in subscriptions with Antenna claiming that Netflix lost five times as many subscribers in the opening weeks of September than during the entire month of August. Yipit data said that September cancellations were eight times that of those in August. That's, uh, that's significant, and that's why I tell you. I'm not, I never call for boycotts. I never call for any of that stuff. But I always tell you what I'm doing. And I canceled my Netflix subscription when I saw that movie. And then, actually, I might have let it slip by, except for their lame, lame butt excuses about how we were just not hip enough to understand and just not urbane enough to, to understand what the real purpose of that film was. It wasn't to promote pornography. It was rather to expose something. Well, let me tell you something. When you have 14-year-old girls in doing spread shots in a movie, I don't care what you call it. I call it pornography. End of story. And I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to pay to have pornography, you know, put on my television. I just, it's, it's not a social commentary against the sexualization of young children. It is the sexualization of young children. So, uh, you know, listen, I, as I say to you all the time, do what your conscience tells you to do. That's what you're supposed to do, not what, what some talk show host tells you to do or some, you know, a television personality tells you to do. That's not how this works. You need to be thoughtful and you need to think for yourselves and you need to do what you think is the next right thing. 
And I don't have a problem telling you what I think is the next right thing and what I'm doing, but it is not my expectation that everybody's going to do the same thing. That's ridiculous. You know, you have, you have your own brain, your own mind. Use it, okay? Um, I love when I get some great emails, which I did this weekend, from parents who tell me that not all the kids are lost. Had a father just this morning email me that his sons have, uh, you know, written two books. Young kids, middle schoolers, high schoolers, uh, you know, 101 reasons to vote for Trump. You got you to gotta say, you know, there are people out there who are doing a good job of getting the message out. And I, I'm so appreciative of that. Uh, I, and, and I have to, you know, point stories out that I think are relevant, right? So the, the New York Police Department suspended an officer this weekend who has, you see, if you look at the video, there's this Antifa thug taunting this police officer, telling him to, you know, say you support Trump, say you're supporting the president of the United States. And, and so after the officer, you know, stands there for a while being taunted by this cretin, uh, he finally picks up his bullhorn and says, Trump 2020. And they, they knock him out. He's punished for it. Meanwhile, and the reason the NYPD says is that you can't have uh, police officers expressing their political views because they have to serve everyone, you know, Trump supporters and Biden supporters. They all have to be served. Well, that's true. But that police officer doesn't lose his uh, First Amendment freedoms just because he's a police officer. And isn't it funny how when police chiefs took a knee and stood down against violent protesters, there was no big ruckus, was there? You know, what's sauce for the goose is sauce for the gander, in my opinion. So how bizarre is that? I mean, when you, when you have to really look at some of this stuff and, and, and ugh, you know, there, there's something so disgusting about the left at this point. You know, they just want to silence everybody, and they're nauseating. They really are. You know, um, I read an article this morning from Judicial Watch, right? that there's proof that, um, you know, that over 300 counties have more registered voters than they do citizens. What? Think about that. Too bad that, you know, we didn't uh, have more information about uh, Hunter Biden's laptop earlier because now that so many people have already voted, it might be relevant. You know, and they put out this piece, which is really disgusting, and, and you know... If only a third of this was true, it would still be disgusting. But I suspect more than a third is true. Um, the, pre the vice president and his first wife, Nelia, had three children, Hunter, Bo, and Naomi. In 1972, she and Naomi died in a car accident, and Bo and Hunter survived the car accident. And at the time, um, after the accident, Joe Biden marries a woman named Jill. Well, how did he meet Jill? Well, she was actually Hunter's babysitter at the time of the car accident. Hey, it's perfectly normal, right? Marry the babysitter. They had a daughter named Ashley. Ashley, who lives a quiet life, uh, frequently in and out of rehab for various substance abuse issues, apparently a problem for some of the Biden children. Now, uh, I believe substance abuse is a disease, but how sad that so many of his children seem to be afflicted. The sanest, the most normal one of the three surviving kids was Bo, who died in 2015 of a brain tumor. And he had been married to a woman named Haley. They had two children, a boy and a girl. Uh, and 
her, her the girl was named Natalie. She was 11 years old when her dad died. And then Hunter Biden comes in in 2015 to comfort his brother's widow. Mind you, he's married at the time. He starts screwing around with his dead brother's wife in 2015. His wife finds out about it, and they separate. Hunter moves in with his dead brother's wife, Haley, and her two kids, and they have a grand old time. Uh, ultimately, he does divorce his wife, Kathleen, in 2017. Meanwhile, he starts screwing around with a stripper while he's still shacking up with his dead brother's wife before his divorce is finalized, and he gets the stripper pregnant. Haley kicks his butt to the curb, supposedly because uh, of that. He denies the stripper's baby is his. A paternity test proves otherwise, and eventually marries another woman named Melissa in 2019 after six days. And does the story end there? No, it doesn't. It just sets the stage. Enter the laptop from hell, right? Loaded with uh, emails, text messages, photos, child porn, and other sordid digital images. And some of those images are of his niece, topless. Just saying. There's even an email from Haley to her uh, father-in-law saying she's concerned about his sexually inappropriate behavior from Hunter towards her 14-year-old daughter, Natalie, who happens to be his niece. She felt she had put her children in a dangerous situation by getting involved with Hunter. <laughs> I'm sorry, man. This is a disgusting, seedy story. And... If you think that if Russia ever had anything that they could have, uh, you know, blackmailed Donald Trump with, it already would have been done. Now, on the other hand, looking like China might have a lot to blackmail Joe Biden with. Just saying. Just saying. A Chinese billionaire keeps releasing films and edits and all this other stuff from these uh, unedited uh, screenshots from the laptop. Just saying. All right, look, I'm going to take a break. Katrina Pearson's coming on next. Stay right where you are. All right, and welcome back. One of my favorite guests, and she's been one of my favorite guests since back in 2015. Katrina Pearson is on the line, senior advisor to Trump 2020. How are you? I'm fantastic. So great to be with you. It's always a pleasure. I tell you, I was hysterical this morning when I saw the tweet uh, about Lil Pump. I mean, every rapper's <laughs> coming out for Trump. Yeah, you know, and there's more to come. You know, it's been one of those things that you know, there's a lot of Republicans that seem to be a little shocked that you see these rappers like 50 Cent, like uh, Ice Cube, uh, you know, even talking about a Republican candidate. And so... Um, it, it's been quite a culture shock, I'd say, for some, but it just makes sense, Joyce. You know, the president has accomplished so many great things for the black community, specifically for black Americans. And once he released his platinum plan to just double down on his commitment uh, to the support and investment in the community, I think a lot of people are seeing through the, the Democrats and the media's uh, manipulation. Yeah. And I'm telling you, I'm looking at, uh, you know, the corner of my eye. I'm watching the president speaking at this campaign event in Pennsylvania. And last night I got a message from one of my friends who lives in Pennsylvania showing me thousands of cars lined up that were in support of Trump. And she said there is no member of the media here. They have deliberately just shut down any um, real footage of what's what's going on around the country. Yeah, but, you know, that's exactly why the campaign, um, every member of the family, all the Trump surrogates 
have been traveling all over the country for months because we knew that the mainstream press was not going to cover the president appropriately um, or even talk about the real support because they're, they're too busy pushing out these suppression polls to try to convince people that no one supports the president when in fact they do and they can't stop individuals like Will Pump, like 50 Cent, like Ice Cube and others to come from being quiet. Uh, 50 Cent even posted on his uh, Instagram that they censored his post about Joe Biden's tax plan. People are not dumb and they are paying attention. They see the support. They see the enthusiasm. And, and due to the fact that we have a really great field team out there, people are learning about what our president has actually accomplished. And there is a lot of support out there for President Trump's reelection. Oh, I, I listen. I've been calling this race for months now in, in his favor. Um, you know, the only thing that scared me was when he got sick because I just didn't want him to be, you know, taken off the campaign trail. He is such a vital part of his, you know, uh, uh, of his campaign. I mean, without him, it's nothing. I mean, you could hide Hunter um, Vice President Biden and no one would notice, but you can't hide Donald Trump. He is the reason that no, you see and, the and kind of support. He was off the campaign trail only for a couple of days, but the bus tours remained. Uh, the mm -hmm. surrogates were still out. Hundreds of people were still showing up um, for surrogate events. Thousands of people were still showing up for Vice President Pence. The momentum continued on and the president fought through um, and now has, has been a true leader of how to combat the pandemic by continuing to live our lives, but by being safe, uh, by wanting to try our best to get back to normal because we are, you know, on planet Earth and we're going to have viruses. We have to fight back. Uh, we have to develop a vaccine. We have to put in the appropriate measures and make decisive uh, decisions uh, the way that President Trump did in the beginning, which mitigated uh, a lot of damage that the pandemic could have caused our country. And, you know, we're all just so thankful and grateful that we had President Trump during this time. Oh, absolutely. And I tell people, you better learn how to live with this virus like you've learned how to live with other deadly diseases. Um, and the really good news is, and I see this in my own uh, state, is that people who are contracting the virus or who are testing positive, let's put it that way, are really, they're not even going into the hospitals. Forget about needing ventilators. Forget about dying. Um, the, the disease has become a, at least a, a milder form here in the Sunshine State. And that was the anticipated result um, these viruses weaken over time uh, there may be other strains nobody's taking it for granted but for goodness sake to listen to you know joe biden and, and kamala harris talk about or gavin newsom talk about how you can't have your family over for thanksgiving if we don't learn to live with this what are we supposed to do stop living well, and I think that's the president's point by saying, you know, the solution can't be worse than, than the actual problem. And, and that's what's happening. And, you know, we heard this talk about the number of cases increasing. Well, that's what's supposed to happen when your numbers of tests increase. Uh, you know, compared to other countries, Joe Biden and the Democrats and the media and CNN for that, that crying out loud, they just they have this constant ticker. But it's because they're doing more testing than anyone else. So we're uh, obviously going to show more cases, which turns out that it's a good thing that we have these numbers. because We can show that the vast majority of people that contracted disease uh, get it. And in a few days, they're over it. A vast number of people survive this without even going into the hospital, to your point, Joyce. And so that is a reality that we have to live with. And the reality is we have to try our best to get back to normal. The president has said it many times. Uh, the lockdowns are hurting more people uh, than the pandemic at this point. And, you know, there's suicides and child abuse and 
just all kinds of violence in homes now and our children aren't learning anymore and it's it's really sad to see what's happening and it's even uh grotesque that the democrats have politicized this to the point to where they want to blame this all on president trump and president trump was the only one that took decisive action early on to prevent the spread of this disease to come further into our country it's but you know what the american people see it they see right through it and they've had the opportunity to hear from both sides and what we're seeing now is the momentum shifting into president trump's favor yet again yeah just in time but i'll tell you you know what really scares me is this assault against people's religious liberties i mean uh you know now doxing nuns that wear maga masks or throwing stones and 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 bottles at uh, uh, jews who are marching or or who are rallying for donald trump i've never seen our country um be egged on the way the mainstream media has done against religion yeah, you know, it's one of those things that um, we always say on the campaign trail, Joyce, and that is this battle we're fighting today is not just against Democrats. It's against socialists. It's against Marxists. And we are having a spiritual battle as well. Yes. And, you know, there are other nations who have taken to, you know, YouTube and social media of pastors who are praying for our president and praying for our country because they can see that what's happening in our country is not that of just people against people. This is spirit against the people, and everyone is fighting back for it. We will see um, with the confirmation of Amy Coney Barrett um, that we can hopefully keep our nation preserved um, and restore the Judeo-Christian Foundation, you know, even throughout the other uh, courts in our yeah. country, because that's where a lot of this is coming from, and the media continues to egg it on. And it's just one way to continue to divide people because they know that as long as we have faith, as long as we have God, as long as we have all of these things that hold us true uh, to our values, then it's going to be much more difficult than to, to you know, run us into the ground, which is exactly what they're trying to do. That's it. That is it indeed. Katrina, thank you so much for coming on. Always a pleasure talking with you. And uh, maybe the next time we talk, we'll be celebrating. That's right. We sure will. All right. You take care. Thank Thank you. Bye-bye. All right, we got to take a quick break. I'll be back with uh, Deputy Secretary Menzies from the Department of Energy. Because, of course, now Joe Biden wants to do away with fracking. All right, and welcome back. You know, last week I had an opportunity to speak with Deputy Secretary of Energy Mark Menezes and uh, Menzies. You know, I, I, nobody ever gets your name right, do they? Yeah, no, no, I'm accustomed to that. It's Menzies, but I'll answer to anything. Right, as long as they don't call you late for dinner. But I had to have you back. I had to have you back on because, I mean, of all the ridiculous things for Joe Biden to have said last week uh, during the debate was that, uh, you know, that he he's going to phase out fracking, basically phase out the phase out the oil industry. How do you think that's playing in in places like Pennsylvania? Well, Joyce, it's great to be back on your program. I really do appreciate you having me. You know, of course, I can't really comment on the election uh, or the campaign, uh, but your listeners, you know, I think would be uh, fascinated to actually uh, know that that America uh, is the world's leading producer of oil and natural gas. You know, it hasn't always been that way. This is a recent uh, accomplishment that's been driven primarily by all the investments, uh, you know, in the shale plays. Um, certainly in Pennsylvania uh, and elsewhere. Uh, But in addition to that, you know, the industry supports millions of American jobs. 
Um, it provides lower energy costs for consumers, and uh, it ensures our energy security. Um, so this administration is committed to continuing uh, our support of the oil and gas industry so that the consumers uh, and Americans can continue to reap the benefits that come with this dominant position of American energy production. Well, and and look, you know, the price of the pump is very important, not just uh, in election time, but all year long. And I, I don't remember a period of time as lengthy as this where I've been able to go to the gas pump for under $2 at BJ's. It's amazing. No, you're right. I mean, we, we don't really think in terms of... Um, you know, cost savings, but, but oil and gas production helped save American consumers an estimated, you know, $203 billion annually. And that's about $2,500 for a family of four. So it's the reason that our economy, you know, was so strong uh, was because our energy costs are so cheap. It's both at the pump and uh, it's to power our homes, businesses, uh, and our manufacturing. Yeah. And I have to tell you, I watch carefully to see what the, uh, you know, the, the people in states other than Florida are thinking. And it's obvious to me that their, their economies have become very dependent on fracking, on, you know, other kinds of oil production. The best paying jobs that you can get in places like North Dakota are in the oil industry. And at a time like this, when the American people are out of work, uh, many of them still out of work, particularly in the service industries. And, you know, these good-paying jobs in the energy sector are holding families together. Well, Joyce, you're absolutely right about that. Um, certainly in those states that produce and extract, um, you're absolutely right about that. But, you know, you take a state like Florida. Um, in Florida, you know, um, our analysts tell us that oil and gas supports over 260,000 jobs in Florida. And this in turn brings in about $12 billion in wages and nearly double that amount, over $22 billion to the state of Florida. You know, oil and natural gas supports uh, a variety of different industries uh, as well as services, uh, and manufacturing, you know, that go along with it. Those jobs are not just those that actually work for oil companies or do the extraction. You've got jobs in construction, transportation, warehousing. Uh, I've mentioned manufacturing, wholesale and retail. You know, uh, and, and these products uh, are used in things like automobiles, medical devices, cosmetics, artificial limbs, heart valves, uh, golf bags and, and golf balls, fishing rods, uh, fertilizers. I mean, it touches every portion of our economy. I like to say that 100% of our economy is dependent on our energy economy. Yeah. No, there's no question about it. And I think uh, I think politicians don't do themselves any favor when they pretend that we're not, that this is not a historic time for us, where we are for the first time in really my lifetime, not depending on nations who hate us to provide us with energy. That's a huge national security issue for me. Well, right. Um, you know, it's funny. The Department of Energy was actually developed, you know, in response to the energy crisis of the 70s. Our goal was to figure out ways to conserve 
uh, and ways to see if there was uh, to get around what everybody assumed was uh, us being permanently dependent on nations that do not share our values for our basic energy needs. And with the breakthrough in technology and the dereg uh, commitment, the deregulation commitment of this uh, administration, we have shown that we are now we're reclaiming uh, the global leadership in production. Uh, and in the development of technology. And as a consequence, we are no longer beholden to these OPEC countries. And we saw this. We saw this uh, just this past year uh, when Saudi Arabia and Russia decided to oversupply in an attempt to drive out uh, the U.S. Uh, energy production, which had become competition, real competition, to their uh, monopoly supply. So we became competitors we were able to have uh, an influence where the president was able to basically pick up the phone and call the leaders of these countries and rein them in and produce an agreement whereby we stabilize the price of oil, uh, which helped stabilize, uh, you know, the economies in the U.S. and certainly uh, to some of our friends and allies. So that's historic. History's being rewritten, and it's all because of the uh you know, of the commitment that this administration has to the oil and, and natural gas industry. I'm speaking with the Deputy Secretary of the Department of Energy, Mark Menzies, and there's a great um, fact sheet that's out on the energy.gov website, which I thought was, you know, important, that people should actually go and look at this. It tells you uh, how we're now, you know, supplying oil, natural gas, and coal provides like 80% of America's agency, uh, energy rather, and it also tells you where jobs are located. I would have never imagined that like Colorado and, and, and uh, Michigan and, and, and New Mexico had so many jobs that were tied into this. No, really, it's a, a great comeback. I saw um, a statistic uh, the other day that um, in the last decade and, and principally during this administration, that uh, the oil and gas sector represented more than two-thirds of total U.S. net industrial investment. I mean, think about that. That is actual money that is being spent to invest in the United States for jobs and growth. Um, I mean, this is just truly astounding. And literally every state has uh, businesses that are impacted, even California, where uh, software uh, developers are, are, you know, uh, writing software that helps operate a lot of this stuff. Silicon Valley uh, helps in breakthrough technologies in this area. Uh, New York, I mean, all states benefit directly in real jobs and revenues as a result of this, um, you know, wide-ranging uh, U.S. industry. Yeah, I mean, there was a stat on that uh, on that facts sheet about how the trade deficit in 2019 was like $300 billion less than it would have been without domestic oil and natural gas. Well, that's right. Uh, that's, a, that's an excellent point. Your listeners might be surprised to know that we have been producing so much oil and natural gas in abundance that we have now become a net exporter of both oil and natural gas. We have been building LNG facilities primarily along the Gulf Coast, but we've also uh, have one on the East Coast, and we've licensed a few more on the West Coast. Um, but now that we're able to export, we are reducing our trade deficit, and we're bringing our trade uh, back into balance, which is going to have a positive impact, you know, on our economy. 
so it's a great story across the board uh, as to what this renaissance uh, in oil and natural gas production has really caused. And it's, it's really just, it's really been highlighted, you know, during this administration. And it's a great story, but we need to continue this. We need to maintain our global leadership. And as I've mentioned, you know, the technological breakthroughs, Joyce, this is another thing. It's mm. really through the technological breakthrough that we've been able to do this because, you know, it was 20 years ago we really thought that we had no more natural gas of any high quality or oil. And because of these new technologies, we found out that we almost have a limitless supply. Mm. Uh, that's how things have changed when you embrace technology over regulation. And that's what this uh, administration stands for. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Deputy Secretary. I appreciate your time, and I know that I can always get you on the line when I need you. I appreciate it. Glad to be with you, listeners, Joyce, anytime. Hope you have uh, a great day. You too. All right. Uh, we got to take a quick break, and uh, then we'll be back. I have some things. I, I want to give you like a side-by-side -side comparison of the platforms of the uh, the Democratic Party and the the president. Because they do have their agendas, both are posted on the Internet. But I doubt that many of you have bothered to look at them. So I'm going to help you out. I'm going to share with you the differences and tell you why this is such an important election. Stay right where you are. The Democratic Party platform, which is now available on the Internet. This is it's uh, it's mind boggling. It's 92 pages um, telling how a Democratic National Committee, House, Senate and president would run the United States. It's very clear. It states exactly how they propose to handle every problem that's faced by America and its allies and its foes. And, of course, it includes universal health care and Medicaid for all Americans and illegal aliens. That's on page 61. A $15 minimum wage, immediate citizenship for illegals, page 63. A free college, page 65. Forgiveness of student loans, page 71. Eliminate border walls, walls and immigration enforcement. That's on pages 62, 64, and 65. Make Washington, D.C. the 51st state. That's on page 58. Abortion for all women and girls on page 83. The $70 trillion Green New Deal where the USA would be net zero greenhouse gas by 2050 but close all coal and natural gas power plants by 2035. By 2030, all new construction in the USA must be net zero greenhouses. That's on pages 51 and 52. Create a U.S. agency for global media to ensure that only accurate information is reported in the news or on the Internet. Can you believe this? This is really it's like it's like a 1984 on on the DNC. Uh, page 48. Uh, rejoin the Paris Climate Agreement. That's on page 79. Create a new federal agency of 100,000 people to trace every American. That's on page 11. Oh, great. Oh, God, the big brother, does that ring a bell? Immediately restore voting rights for convicted felons, provide funding to facilitate vote from home and mail-in voting, create a new federal credit bureau to replace Equifax, and require banks to use this new credit reporting service that will be set up to assist low-income people in buying houses and cars. Make gun manufacturers responsible and liable for how their guns are used, which will basically destroy gun manufacturers, page 49. 
Declare and treat drug use as a mental illness instead of an illegal activity. Declare the support for the rights of BLM, multi-gender, and preferential treatment for anyone who happens to fall into those categories who wants to immigrate to America. That's on page 63. You need to remember all this. In uh, when you go in to vote. I voted on Sunday, by the way. It was pouring down rain. I knew nobody would be there, so we walked right in. And it was a piece of cake, although it uh, wasn't the friendliest environment. Once they saw I was a registered, uh, not a registered Democrat. They only, you know, they're only polite to the registered Democrats. And now here's Donald Trump's uh, second term agenda. Jobs. Create 10 million new jobs in 10 months. Create 1 million new small businesses. Cut taxes to boost take-home pay and keep jobs in America. Enact a fair trade deal that protects American jobs. A Made in American tax credits. Expand opportunity zones. Continue deregulatory agenda for energy independence. You heard us just talking about that, me and Deputy Secretary Menzies. Eradicate COVID-19, develop a vaccine by the end of 2020, return to normal in 2021, make all critical medicines and supplies for healthcare workers in the United States, refill stockpiles and prepare for future pandemics, end our reliance on China, bring 1 million manufacturing jobs back from China, tax credits for companies that bring back jobs from China, allow 100% expensing deductions for essential industries like pharmaceuticals and robotics who bring Bring back their manufacturing to the U.S. No federal contracts for companies who outsource to China. Hold China fully accountable for allowing the virus to spread around the world. And then in healthcare, cut prescription drug prices, put patients and doctors back in charge of our healthcare system, lower healthcare insurance premiums, end surprise billing, cover all pre-existing conditions, protect Social Security and Medicare, protect our veterans, and provide world-class healthcare and services. Education, provide school choice to every child in America. Teach American exceptionalism and drain the swamp. Pass congressional term limits. End bureaucratic government bullying of U.S. citizens and small businesses. Expose Washington's money trail and deregulate and delegate rather powers back to people and states. Drain the globalist swamp by taking on international organizations that hurt American citizens. Uh, and let's see what else. Uh, defund, defend, not defund, defend our police. Fully fund and hire more police and law enforcement officers. Increase criminal penalties for assaults on law enforcement officers. Prosecute drive-by shootings as acts of domestic terrorism. Bring violent extremist groups like Antifa to justice. End cashless bail and keep dangerous criminals locked up until trial. End illegal immigration and protect American workers. Block illegal immigrants from becoming eligible for taxpayer-funded welfare, health care, and free college tuition. Mandatory deportation for non-citizen gang members. Dismantle human trafficking networks. End sanctuary cities to restore our neighborhoods and protect our families. Prohibit American companies from replacing U.S. citizens with lower-cost foreign workers. Require new immigrants to be able to support themselves financially. And then innovate for the future. Launch Space Force. 
build the world's greatest infrastructure system, win the race to 5G and establish a national high-speed wireless internet network, continue to lead the world in access to the cleanest drinking water and cleanest air, partner with other nations to clean up our planet's oceans, and America first foreign policy. Stop the endless wars, bring our troops home, get allies to pay their fair share, maintain and expand America's unrivaled military strength, and wipe out global terrorists who threaten to harm Americans, build a great cybersecurity defense system and missile defense system. So you tell me, which of those platforms more closely resembles your desire for the future? The Democratic one or the uh, Trump one? Because for me, it's not even close, okay? For me, this is proof positive that uh, my vote, which I gave to Donald Trump yesterday, and uh, and I'm, I'm, I'm very glad that... Uh, that I was able to do that. So I thank you for your time this time. Until next time, I will be back tomorrow. I think I'll be talking with Rudy Giuliani tomorrow as well as uh, some other special guests. So you don't want to miss a moment of tomorrow's show or any show. You can always listen to the podcast and you can always uh, download it. So I'll be back if it be his will and he delays his coming. What lies behind us and what lies ahead of us are tiny matters compared to what lies within us. So wherever you are, just be yourself. Everybody else is taken. God bless you and God bless the United States of America.